Welcome to the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta's EconSouth Now podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Carl Case, an economics professor at Wellesley College and the co-developer of the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. He'll be speaking about house prices and the state of the housing market. Dr. Case, do you think we've reached the bottom in terms of house price declines? And if so, has it happened sooner than you expected, or is it possible we could see further declines? I think there's a significant probability that it's that it's reached a bottom. Um, calling a bottom or calling a top or even timing the market is a very difficult thing to do, of course, because there's a great deal of uncertainty about employment and other things going forward. But it sure does look like in the last two months there's been a sea change in these repeat sales indexes that we publish, and they, they look like they're coming off a bottom. Um, it looks like they're certainly searching for a bottom, how much of it's exactly seasonality and how much is not. Uh, I think we believe that most of it is not seasonality, that we really do have 17 of our or 18 of our 20 cities uh, rising. So I, I think there's there's a lot of evidence. You, you look at, by the way, you look at the quantity figures, existing home sales, inventories, pending home sales, new home sales, housing starts. They're all up over the last five or six months. So coincident with the increase in the stock market, there seems to be a stabilization beginning to occur in the housing market, which would be a good thing for most people involved. Yes, uh, 17 out of 20 markets is, is a pretty powerful indicator. Yeah. Um, Dr. Case, in your view, what role does employment play in the housing markets, and can the housing market meaningfully rebound until unemployment eases? Well, there's, there's, first of all, if you look at the data, it's really true that unemployment is one of the major drivers of the, of the housing market. When people uh, have income and have jobs, they tend to buy more than, obviously, if they don't. But it's still true that 90%, it was 10% unemployment, 90% of the labor force has a job. Um, we, we know that uh, the duration is longer, spells are longer, severity uh, measured in a variety of ways is, is making the labor market look pretty grim. But it doesn't take a lot of houses to turn over, to turn the market. If you think about it, we value the stock of housing by looking at the transactions that occur in a given period. And only about 5% of the properties turn over. So if, for example, in California, you have a basically optimistic uh, view coming from the people who've lived through these cycles before, combined with availability, I mean, you're only talking about moving 5 to 10% of the properties um, in a given year. So uh, I guess it is possible to have a, a recovery if you remember that what we're doing is imputing the value of the whole stock of housing from the ones that transact in a given period. Right. As you know, in the Southeast, we had a very robust housing market for many years, and we have really felt the effects of the slowing housing market in this region. Do your data tell you anything interesting about the housing markets in the Southeast that makes it distinct from the rest of the country? Well, if you look, Florida, of course, is a nice is a separate part of the Southeast. And so leaving Florida out, talking about... Uh, uh, the, the the states from basically North Carolina down through uh, Georgia and, and into the to the deep south, that southeast portion has behaved a little differently than the coasts. It had none of those areas have had a big re- rapid run up and and then rapid run down. It hasn't been as cyclical. You look at Atlanta for example. Uh, Atlanta is up 7.5 percent since 2000. 
That's one of the lowest total ups of all the cities in the country. And it's been sort of a steady rise, fall, and then beginnings of a rise again for for a city like Atlanta. Whereas if you look at uh, some of the other markets, the terrible markets have been Florida, California, Arizona, and Nevada, which have had huge declines and massive numbers of foreclosure auctions. Uh, that the Northeast and the and parts of the West have been cyclical, with rapid booms and busts periodically, and then the Midwest has been really the depression area, the Detroit's and the Cleveland's that are still down from 2000 levels. Um, so it de- it depends on the the region what the cycle has been like. Uh, the most severe cycles, but the ones the, the regions that have adapted to it the best are uh, the Northeast and to a certain extent. California's had three of these booms and busts, and they're they're still uh, they haven't repaired the damage yet. But they're they're uh, so it, it just the answer is it depends on uh, what region you look at. Southeast has been more stable, not so much boom side, uh, and uh, a reasonable amount, not so much bust side either. They're down from peak twenty percent, and there are markets that are well down well over fifty. Your reference to foreclosures actually leads me to my next question, which is, do you have any thoughts on how big a role foreclosures have played in the housing market soon versus, say, oversupply and perhaps overconsumption of housing? Well, there's two major aspects. Uh, one is the, these, these foreclosure auctions. Let me talk about those first, and then I'll talk about the, the, the boom side uh, and the ex- expansive credit that occurred in the, in the mid part of this decade. Um, but the, the foreclosures, a couple of things. One is um, they're concentrated in four states. If you look at, at four states of California, Florida, which are unfortunately a third of the country, if you look at the value of real estate in Florida and California, it's literally a third of the country. If you add Nevada and, and Arizona, you get about 50 to 60%, depending on the month, of the auction sales that are occurring. Um, so it's 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 concentrated. It struck me as odd that we haven't sent sort of an army of people down to those four states to try to get the uh, the restructurings done and so forth. But they're 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 a they're concentrated in a in a fairly small number of states. But almost all states have been affected by them because the tremendous expansion of credit, which took place in the in the early part of the decade, um, was uniform across the country. We loaned money everywhere to anybody who basically breathed. Um, then your question was the impact of those on the indexes. Um, they clearly have an impact because most of the cities, if you look at most of our cities, the low end, if you distinguish the high, middle, and low tiers by value, the low tier virtually tripled in a lot of cities. Look at Miami, Washington, D.C., California, um, and the low end literally tripled. And it got pushed way beyond anything that people at the income levels that were buying them could afford. And that was in large measure the the uh, expansion of credit and the belief on the part of the analytical people working in Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the mortgage insurers, the banks, the, the Wall Street firms that got in, involved. It was based on the belief that writing this paper was profitable. But it was profitable during a 30-year period when house prices were rising, and that means that uh, that you didn't see the defaults. And when house prices started to fall, all this paper that was written at rates that had adjustments and people with low and moderate income got in trouble because the value of the collateral fell, 
and the loans came due or they got delinquent. And in the old days, you could just cure by paying off the loan with the, with the asset because the asset had the value. Right. That came home to roost, and, and the results are obvious. So when we look at the at the cities today, um, there are a lot of these auction sales that are influencing the indexes. A city, if you take one of our 20 metropolitan areas, it's made up of probably 30 different housing markets. It's like the S&P 500 index. You've got some places that are going up in value, some places are going down in value, and the cities that have large tracts of, of properties in the foreclosure areas are experiencing the largest decline in the uh, in the index um, because they represent a larger sample in those cities. So it's not a it's it's not like we're looking at something as simple as gold to understand. You've got some houses and neighborhoods that are increasing, some that are decreasing, and what's turned around now is the net. And what made it go down as far as it did go down is the fact that we included in those calculations these auction sales which are heavily discounted. You can't take them out because on the way up their value actually increased. And if you take them out on the downside, you get an index that looks like it's going to ratchet up and never goes down. Well, these properties have fallen in value, and they've fallen a lot. They belong in the index, and so uh, certainly they have an effect. You mentioned uh, different tiers of, of house prices, and uh, I wanted to know if you uh, if you see a particular segment of the housing market, such as low-end homes, urban, exurban, etc., that is recovering faster than other segments. Yeah, um, I think if you look at those, uh, if you look at the zip code level indexes, uh, I, I get to see zip code level indexes, and we publish the tier, high, middle, and low tier. Um, the the indexes that are that seem to be the most stable are not the real high end, which is quite small, but the upper tier and, and so, to some extent the middle tier seem to have held. And in, in 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 a normal market, when demand drops, prices fall. Right. In the housing market, it's much much like the labor market. When demand drops, prices are sticky, and they're sticky because people won't sell. They'll hold out. They know what their property's worth. I had an economist tell me one time. Um, I can't sell my house, and I said, for God's sake, you're an economist. <laughs> so uh, there's a, a sense that somehow housing, because it's bricks and mortar, uh, isn't going to fall as much. People resist it. They're optimistic. It's also true that the real, the dividend on owning a house, if you wanted to compare it to, stock mar- to the stock market, is the imputed rent you get by living in it. And And it's like driving your car. You don't worry about appreciation. Because you know it's going to depreciate. Nonetheless, you get you get car services out of it, which you pay for by buying a car. When you buy a house, you're buying a dwelling. It's like a consumer durable, uh, and that means that in a downturn, when the value falls, uh, you don't lose the dividend. The dividend is constant in real terms, it makes it a more stable investment, and it's part of what leads to this downward sticky phenomenon. So, in a down market, people won't sell into the into it, into it, and it, it actually has the effect, when you look at the transactions that occur, of making it appears probably more stable than it is. But it, it certainly, the prices in those areas have held, in part because of this downward sticky phenomenon, uh, and which, which of course drains supply off the market. So it, it, I think that the, the market that's doing the best is the market where there haven't been a lot of foreclosures, 
where income has been maintained. Obviously, those states that have the have had income hold up the best are doing better. But the segment is this uh, low to, uh, to the low end of the high and the high end of the middle. My last question to you is is uh, perhaps a bit more subjective, and I wanted to ask you how it felt to uh, have had a role in creating something that has practically become a household name in a relatively short time. Well, it's really quite extraordinary. I mean, it, it feels good in a way because, I mean, I I, I wrote the, the first one down for on paper. Actually, I, I had not seen a paper by Bailey Muth and Norse of some decades ago, but I was very frustrated with the use of median sales prices. And I was trying to write about house prices and explain house prices, and there were no bloody data. And what I wanted, I sat in my chair and I said, what I want is I want same house appreciation. And so I sort of figured out this little calculation, which kind of cured the problem for me. I looked at a data set that explained how much house prices were going up at the time, which was the mid-'80s. I then couldn't explain it. I tried to use six or eight variables, built a supply and demand model. And then I called Bob Schiller, who is the world's leading expert on bubbles, and I said, I think I got a bubble for you. And we got together and we really wrote down what we believed was true and the right way to do it. And to see something like that become sort of acknowledged to be the right way to do it, although there are plenty of people to argue with and who will argue with us about exactly how we do it, it's a pretty straightforward approach to a fairly straightforward problem. And um, now it's a... it's got it's got lots of people looking at it and using it and it's it's quite gratifying it's not fun unfortunately because there's so much pain out there uh, with this downturn and the downturn the proximal cause of the downturn in my belief was the fall in home prices so we were the guys who 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 drew attention to the fact that house prices were stabilizing and beginning to fall uh, when that turned out to be a very big thing in terms of the collapse of the mortgage market, the financial system, and all the derivatives that depend on it. Well, you you certainly have given us all a lot to think about. Now, for that, we're we're grateful to you and Dr. Schiller. Thank you for your time, and especially thank you for the insights you shared with us. Great talking to you. Again, we've been speaking today with Dr. Carl Case, an economics professor at Wellesley College and a co-developer of the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. This concludes our EconSouthNow podcast on house prices in the housing market. For more information, please see the third quarter 2009 edition of EconSouth. On our website, frbatlanta.org, you can read our article about house prices. Thanks for listening, and please return for more podcasts. If you have comments, please send us an email at podcast at frbatlanta.org.